2: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power
0: Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who've written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
1: Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We gather like this every weekend uh, under the auspices of Pete Paquette. uh, He's the engineer, handyman, does it all, gets us on the air. Uh, Andrew Herdliska uh, produces the show. And uh, Andy has produced Grace Fox, and she's about as far away from Orlando as you can get. I don't know, sailboat off the coast of Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, her book is a dandy, uh, Keeping Hope Alive. Grace, welcome to Orlando. You're, you're back again, and I'm so happy to uh, have a chance to chat with you.
3: Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's great
1: to be back. Uh, tell me about this book, which I've enjoyed immensely, Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm. Tell us more.
3: Right. I wrote that book with 90 little meditations that are short but very tightly focused for people who are going through a storm because uh, we seem to be in that season, don't we, right now? Um, politically, just globally, and personally as well. And so people need biblical hope, but they need it in sometimes just in snippets that their minds can absorb because the storm is blowing so hard. And so that's what my hope was, is, is that this book would minister to people in those positions and uh, remind them who God is and that he's with them. They're not alone.
1: Grace, I want you to expand on this. Storms happen. It's not a matter of if, but when the wind and waves will begin to batter your boat. Fear wants to grab us, but there's hope. God rules and we're safe in his grip. Uh, can you tell us more about that?
3: Yes, I, I think it's very true that we don't know when those storms are going to come in life. We can wake up one morning and everything is just fine, and by the end of the day, life is just upside down from what we expected. And so we just we need to be prepared for the, those times, and that comes by being in the Word of God and by cultivating that relationship with Jesus. Women, women, going is easy, right? And then we're ready when those storms blow us that's, um, it's just, it's just hanging on to Jesus when we get into those storms and knowing that he has got us. There is nothing that can touch us that, that will take us out when we are in his arms.
1: Grace, what is your daily study of God's word uh, like? How do you go about it?
3: I'm a morning person. And so many years ago, uh, my husband and I were involved in a Christian camping ministry. We had three kids still at home and uh, life was very busy, and I remember just um, thinking, I, I need to be in the Word. I need to be in the Word, not just as a, this is a good Christian thing to do, like, you know, check it off, tick off the box, that I've done my quiet time, but to get to know the heart of God. And so um, I prayed, Lord, wake me up at the time you want me to get up. Would you do that? Just wake me up. And I thought to myself, this is between the Lord and me. It's not between the Lord and my husband. So I'm not even going to set an alarm clock because I don't think it's fair for my husband to have to wake up to my alarm. And so I I just asked the Lord to wake me up. And the first morning was five o'clock. And I thought, you're kidding me, right? Let's do this again. Let's try this a second time. So the next morning, five o'clock. And I thought, well, maybe he's not kidding. So, oh, okay, I'll get up. And it went from dragging myself out of bed because it was so early to I can hardly wait to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and have that time alone with the Lord before the kids got up and before I had to make breakfast and, and everything started. And so typically that's the way I begin my day is just early in the morning. And it's, it's actually got earlier than that as I've gotten older. And I, I can't wait to get into the Word. And so what I do is I use a Bible that is read through the Bible in a year. And I do a little bit of the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. And most of the time, I journal the thoughts that come, you know, ideas will come. The Bible that I'm using now has space in the margins to write, and so lines written for that reason. And and so I've written a lot of things down mm-hmm. in those margins, but just, I write them down because if I don't, I'll forget. And so also by, by going back and reviewing, I can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I Remember that now, and so it's a it's a thing of joy meeting with
1: the Lord. I count it like a date with my God. Mm. Grace Fox is our guest. Keeping Hope Alive, uh, Devotions for Strength in the Storm. In your book, Grace, you write these words: uh, "We grieve loss and lost opportunities, but we can be sure of this: God has a plan." And nothing stops him from fulfilling it. He never fails or skips a beat. If our perceived best doesn't come to pass, we can be certain something better lies ahead. Uh, I want you to expand on that for us, Grace.
3: Yeah, I think we come to life with our own expectations of what it's supposed to look like. And when it doesn't look like that, we think that something's gone wrong. If we are truly walking with God, and we say that we trust Him, and Scripture says He delights in every detail of our lives. If we, if we truly believe that and are walking from that truth, then, then we can have the assurance that uh, what we think is the best, if it doesn't work out, that, that's okay, because God will have something better. And we, we can't always see the big picture, right? So our human bent is just so limited to what we see right in front of us. That God sees way over the horizon, and He sees the big picture. He sees what He's trying to accomplish, what He wants to have happen in His eternal, um, His eternal perspective. And so, I, I just keep coming back in my mind to a, a mental image of myself being held in Jesus' arms, just like He holds the little lambs close to His heart. He says in Isaiah, and. And if we are in that position, in such a sweet relationship with him that he's got his arms wrapped around us, then then even when we think something good has fallen apart, we can rest in his arms knowing that, no, he's he's got something else. There's something else in store, and we just don't see it yet.
1: Grace Fox is with us on a sailboat uh, off the coast of Vancouver. <laughs> Boy, modern technology, huh? Uh, Grace, uh, here's another thing that you have written that really got my attention. But here's the thing you write. When I'm in trouble, I don't want make-believe superheroes to entertain me. I need someone real to rescue me. The Holy Spirit is that someone. His divine power far exceeds our wildest imagination, and that power lives in us. No problem is too great, no mountain too high. There's nothing he cannot do and no battle he will not fight on our behalf. When we're in trouble, the Holy Spirit and his superpower are only a whisper away. The Holy Spirit's resurrection power lives in you. And then you you ask this question, what difference does this make in your life? Mm-hmm. Oh, please expand, Grace. The, the Holy Spirit kind of gets less left out, but boy, you... Uh, You bring him to the forefront here. Fill us in.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. I think in my Christian upbringing, I grew up being afraid of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until I was in a, a small group just a few years ago that we studied a book that was about the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. And Francis Chan wrote it. Yes. The Forgotten God. The Forgotten God. That was the title of it. And that book... Opened my eyes to see that the Holy Spirit is not some strange ghostly entity that we need to be afraid of, but He is a part of the Trinity. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and He's our Comforter. He is our Teacher, just like Jesus said. He said to the disciples, "I need to go so that I can send this one, and um, He is going to be with you. He's going to be your Comforter. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of the things that you need to know, and so on." And and then I started understanding more and realizing that God has given me his presence. That's why it says in Scripture, you know, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's because he's with us. He's in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And and when I start living from that truth, fear does not have the power over me that it used to have when I realize that he really is only a whisper away, all I have to do is go, Jesus, help. And he's there in the form of the Holy Spirit right within me. Then I think, what was it? You know, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, it says that's the power that is at work within us. Therefore, you know, we don't have to be afraid. When God gives us an assignment that seems, so much bigger than we feel. Like, we feel totally inadequate for this assignment that he's given us, whatever it might be. Might be walking across the street to welcome a new neighbor, and we just feel afraid of knocking on a stranger's door and appearing, appearing, you know, nosy, something like that. Uh, That might be really scary for some people um, to know that that power of the Holy Spirit lives within us. We don't need to buckle to fear. He will give us all we need to do what God has called us to do, no matter what it is. And that, man, I just keep calling that truth to the forefront when, when the enemy starts feeding lies and putting lies in my head about how, how difficult my situation might be or how, how overwhelming this task is. And Grace, you can never do that. Who do you think you are? Those types of thoughts come into my head. I go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The truth is, the power of the resurrected Christ lives in me. Yeah, and
1: then I walk that out. Grace, I want you to expand on what you just said about thoughts coming through your mind. Uh, They can be negative. They can be depressing. Uh, I'm not sure where they come from, Uh, but uh, explain how you combat them immediately so they don't fester and grow and become, you know, really a crisis mode. Uh, Tell me more.
3: Yeah. So, as the Bible says, too, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And all of us will have negative thoughts. All of us will have fearful thoughts at some point or another. But it's what we do with those thoughts that makes the difference. And so, if we let those thoughts move into our minds, take up residence, put a seat on the coffee table, so to speak, right? They take up residence there. That's when we get into trouble. But if we... If we sense those thoughts knocking at the door and we, we just want to say, Hey, you, I'm not letting you in. You don't belong here. You don't live here. And we turn them away by counteracting them with the truth. Um, for instance, a fearful thought might come and say, Well, um, what if, what if you lose your job? Then you can't pay your bills, and you're going to lose your house. And we go from point A to point B very, very quickly. And that's where fear can take hold. But if if that first thought that comes in is, well, what if you lose your job? Then we counteract it with, well, even if I lose my job, I know that God will look after me because the Word says that He will provide for my needs. He will make sure that every need I have will be supplied. And then we think, well, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean we're not going to uh, maybe have to line up at the food bank for a while. Like, there's, you know, it's not always easy, but, but we know that God will never leave us or forsake us. We keep going back to the truth and counteract those thoughts with the truth. So our thoughts really um, dictate um, our behaviors. Like, they will influence our behaviors. If we are a fearful person, we will begin to do things out of fear. Our behaviors will be rooted in fear. And, and then those behaviors um, dictate what our destiny or our outcome will be. I think of, of women that I've spoken to who are, say, afraid of being alone, and that fear will influence their behaviors. And so they will get involved with a guy who is maybe not God's best for them. He's not a good man. He's not God's best. But they're so afraid of being alone that they settle for a relationship that is it should never happen in the first place, and then what happens? It dictates their outcome, and their marriage ends up being really bad, and it, it could end up in divorce, or they end up stuck in it, and there's just no joy whatsoever. There's no partnership because they married a man who is not the one that they should have been involved with, but they were afraid of being alone. So that's just one example, but it's it's just so true, and we can... You know, if we're struggling with things like that, we can probably track it on paper. We can start writing our own journey down on paper and see where where um, behaviors that we have evidenced will track back to thoughts that, that we've entertained, that we should not have entertained. But it's God's truth that renews us. Romans twelve two. we are transformed by the renewing of our mind.
1: Author Grace Fox is with us uh, from her sailboat in uh, Vancouver. Uh, in the water, not in Vancouver. Uh, her book, it's, it's, it's a wonderful little devotion. It's called Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm. Uh, we have another segment with Grace. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and you're plugged into AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Uh, we'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment, AM 990
0: and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
1: Grace Fox has joined us. We're talking about her book, Keeping Hope Alive. Grace, here's, here's a little sentence you wrote in this book that really, um, really got my attention. And here's what you wrote. Don't try to see far into the future. Just do the next right thing. Uh, I, I want you to expand on that.
3: Mm-hmm. Sometimes we end up in situations that are um, you know, overwhelming to us. And we just don't know. We don't know which way to go. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example just to put some meat to this. Uh, I recently ended up just receiving some really harsh criticism. And actually, it was on the day that this book was launched. I got an email from somebody who just, just um, flattened me with criticism over or even directed towards my husband and I in our ministry. And I, I described it. As it, was, it was like somebody took a baseball bat to, my, to the back of my knees and just took me out. That's how it felt. Mm. And, and I, um, I realized just over time, you know, it's been a few months since that happened, but um, trying to process that. If I were to try to look at this way down the road, like, where is this relationship going to go? It was a relationship that I really held precious. Where is this going to go? What is it going to look like a year from now? There's just no way, no way that I can know that. And I can waste a whole lot of mental and emotional energy playing games in my mind about where this might go. And having make-believe conversations in my head as well with these people. But doing the next right thing. You know, we get into situations like that that might be so hurtful or so overwhelming, so, um, you know, like a a crisis, an emergency of some sort, with a loved one maybe in the hospital or whatever. But, uh, you know, we don't know where it's going to lead. And so don't try to figure it out. We can't, but we can do the next right thing. And so in my situation, the next right thing was like, God, just praying, God, help me understand where this comment came from. Would you help me to understand the heart behind it and then Lord help me see these people through your eyes? The next right thing, which is to try to pray <laughs> to pray for God's eyes. Because if I didn't do that, boy, you know, my my heart would have just been broken beyond repair, I think. Uh, or maybe just so angry that I would have started to um see just and, and then bitterness would have taken root, and all the rest of that would have happened if I tried to look way way down the road, you can't do that we can't figure these things out, but we can do the next right thing. God help me, God help me uh, forgive God, help me see these people through your eyes, God, if they're hurting in some way, help me understand that hurt so that I can respond in a way that is kind. The next right thing, it's just one step,
1: just one little step. Grace, Grace Fox is our guest. Grace, I want you to uh, talk about your prayer life. But uh, first, here's here's a quote in your book from Stormy Omardian. Prayer is not telling God what to do. Prayer is partnering with God to see that his will is done. You don't have to fully understand what God's will is in order to pray that his will be done. Uh, Tell me about your prayer life.
3: I wish I could say that I was a prayer giant and that I have it all figured out, but uh, I I wrestle with it sometimes because I, I have a hard time staying focused. I'm a person, if I sit down too long, I'll fall asleep. So I have to be on the move when I'm talking to God and I, that just helps me stay focused. So, say, going for a walk, or even if I'm at the gym, being on the treadmill, but just moving and staying focused. And um, I, I learned something that, that has been very valuable to me, because I used to feel like prayer was oh, such a, a huge responsibility, and I am so not up for the task and so inadequate. And, and then I realized why I was struggling with it like that. That was because, in my head, there was some little thought back there that said that I needed to come to God with the answers. And so if I came to him with a problem, uh, I needed to be able to say, God, I need you to do such and such in this situation. I need you to do, and I get really specific. But there were some cases where I, I didn't have a clue how to be specific like that because it was so far beyond me. And that's where I felt inadequate in prayer. Then I realized that I don't need to come to God with the answers. That's why I'm coming to him in prayer, because I don't have the answers. And so I can come to him and say, God, you know what's just happened in my life. I haven't got a clue what to do about this. I haven't got a clue. And that's why I'm coming to you, is because I need you to show me what to do. I need you to tell me what to say. I need you to direct my steps, because I haven't got a clue. And when I started praying like that, understanding that prayer is admitting my need for God, admitting my inadequacy rather than, you know, and coming to Him for the answers rather than coming to Him with the answers and being this bossy pants, thinking I've got it figured out. When I started thinking that way, then prayer became a much sweeter thing for me to do. It wasn't, it wasn't scary or overwhelming anymore. It was like, whoa, Ooh, I can come to God and I can breathe. I can breathe. I can just give him those things that are heavy on my heart and give them to him and walk away because he's the one that he doesn't have to start figuring it out when I bring these things to him. He's already got it figured out. And I just need to tap into that and and hear his voice and and his heart on what to do.
1: Grace, uh, tell me about um, uh, witnessing, sharing your faith uh, with non-believers. Uh, does that come to you comfortably or is that a struggle?
3: Well, I have been learning more about that as well. And I would say there have been times, because I travel so much internationally as well for for missions. Um, lots of times I will say when I travel, Lord, would you give me a Q word? Help me hear the Q word. And so say I'm sitting on a plane with a stranger and, I've had spiritual conversations with people before the plane is even taken off at times because God will give me that cue word. And what I mean by that in conversation is, you know, I, um, I'm thinking of one guy in particular. I sat beside for 14 hours on a flight to China. But the conversation started before we even left the ground. And I think I asked him where he was going, and he told me. And, um, you know, he, he was going to Indonesia or something to do this kind of a soul retreat. He was just looking for himself. He had a lot of money. He'd done very well in business. He was only in his early 30s yet. But he said, I'm realizing that money doesn't buy happiness. And then he started talking to me about his family. a younger brother was a drug addict, and his parents had thrown thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into rehab for this guy, but it wasn't working. And, And I said, oh, so if money doesn't buy happiness, what do you think will lead you to happiness? So the key word was, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. That was a cue for me to just ask a question. And that broke it open. You know, what do you think will lead you to happiness? And he goes, I really don't know. I don't know. And then I started, you know, I'll say, well, can I share with you how I found happiness? I said, yeah, please do. And boom, right into talking about Jesus. Mm. And, you know, I don't talk about going to church. I don't talk about those things because of, I don't think that's what it's about. It is about relationship with Jesus. And with us living, my husband and I living in a marina, we moved in there in 2018 knowing that God had called us there. This was not a thing about, ah, let's just go live the dream. It's not like that. My husband was a sailor. He grew up with a marine-based family, you know, like loving boats and all that. He developed a sailing camp when we worked at that camp for 11 years. I grew up on the plains of Alberta. I am a lover girl. So moving into a sailboat full-time and living on the water was not not my human bent, let's just say it that way. But God did a work in my heart. I can't say it any other way. It's him. It's him because he called us to do this. And, and when he put us in the marina, he showed us an unreached people group there, right there in Vancouver, an unreached people group a whole group of people living there on boats who don't know Jesus. And they've been burned by the church in some way. They've been um, hurt. And so Christians have a very bad name. And so we call ourselves Jesus followers.
1: Grace Fox has been our guest. Her book, Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm. We've got more after this here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and
0: FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams
1: Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, Grace Fox, our guest in that first segment, uh, she was out in Vancouver, British Columbia, Uh, Keeping Hope Alive, the name of her book. Well, we go from Vancouver, I mean way out there, uh, to Wilmington, North Carolina. Chris Sasser is with us, pastor of family ministries at Port City Community Church, author of BAGS, B-A-G-S, helping your kids lighten the load. Chris, nice to have you in Orlando. How are you?
2: I'm good, Pat. Thank you so much for having me. I love Orlando, Florida. I used to always say if I could live anywhere else in the world other than where I live, it would be
1: Orlando. Ooh, well, a thousand people a day agree with you, Chris. (laughs) Maybe that's
2: why I haven't done it yet, Pat.
1: Yeah, a thousand people a day are moving to Central Florida. Wow. That's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, Chris, how did this book come about? What's the background?
2: So, Pat, I'm a family ministry pastor, but I kind of really come from a youth ministry background. So I was a youth pastor for a long, long time. And one of the things that happens uh, when you're a youth pastor, if you're at a church for any length of time, is the you know, kids try to come through the church, they come through the youth group, and they go off to college in their young adult years. And, and you know, a lot of them are going to get married. And so when it's time for them to, to plan their wedding, they call somebody back home who they have a good relationship with. And so I was getting lots of calls to do weddings, kind of officiate the weddings, for kids who had been through our church. And so my wife and I uh, loved being a part of those moments. We would say yes. So we, we stepped into kind of some premarital counseling before we actually did the wedding. And, and and what we would do is we'd have this kind of young couple over to our house. Um, and, you know, oftentimes we knew one of them really well because obviously they had come through the church, and maybe we knew both of them. Or, or Sometimes they had met their future spouse, you know, at college or in their young adult years, so we didn't know them. But what we would say is, hey, we, we want to play this game. We want to uh, act like you don't know us and tell us your life story, your faith story, and your family story. And, Pat, I have to tell you, th- these young adults would just absolutely unload on us and just tell us about sort of things that were going on in their heart and their life. And I just remember uh, oftentimes I would look at my wife kind of after that first session where you know, we'd have them over for dinner and begin this conversation I would look at my wife and I would say, honey, oh, my gosh, they they are just carrying so much emotional baggage, and, and they have no idea what to do with it. And, and, you know, they're stepping into what is hopefully one of the most exciting times of their life, and they're just loaded down with all these burdens. And so obviously the next, you know, five or six sessions were helping them unpack their bags, if you will. And so I, I just our, – our kids were very young at the time, and I did what a lot of parents do. I started thinking, oh, my gosh, like, what are my kids going to be saying when they're in, you know – some kind of counseling in their you know, young adult years. What kind of bags are they going to be talking about? And I just started thinking through, um, okay, like, it, would there be a way for me to get my kids to their young adult years and, and maybe just not have all of this emotional baggage that a lot of these young adults carry nowadays? I'm not, you know, naive enough to think that we can get our kids to, to where there's no baggage, um, but I'm a diehard optimist. I've been called stupidly optimistic before. And that's okay. And so I just started thinking through, okay, like, what can we do to, um, to help our own kids kind of get to, to, to their years, their young adult years, and just be healthier? And that was kind of the, the goal for me is to, to help my kids be healthy. So I started doing focus groups with college students and young adults in my church. Uh, I have a lot of college students and young adults that I'm around. I did that for a couple of years, reflected on almost 30 years of ministry now. And I just started hearing common themes and developed kind of these eight common bags that kids pack along the way. And so, you know, what, what I want is, is I want for us as, as parents, really, and as adults to help these kids not have so much sort of weight, not have to carry so much weight uh, when they get to their young adult years. Because we, we all know that when we, when we pack emotional bags, um, they can weigh us down for years and years and years. So that's where the, the idea for the book came from, and uh, identifying these eight common bags and just trying to help parents say, okay, what can we do along the way? The way I talk about it, it's, it's about awareness and preventive maintenance. If I can know how to help my kids from, let's say, the age of 5 to 25, then maybe they can get to their young adult years and just be a little
1: healthier. You open your book with a chapter called Just Don't Pack! Exclamation point. Yes. What's going on here?
2: Well, again, it's, I, I think for us as adults, we have the opportunity, and as parents, it's Uh, ministry leaders, it's coaches, it's teachers, we have the opportunity to help our kids um, just not pack all of these bags. I mean, and and, and we all know what they are. I mean, uh, I tell people often, I'm not kind of uh, giving you a lot of new information. We all know that we have bags relationally with people in our lives. We all know that we struggle with um, the kind of having to perform everywhere in life. We all know that we, you know, struggle with identity. And so, again. The first chapter is just an encouragement for, for parents especially to look at the way that they're raising their kids through a different lens. And, and part of what I also like to talk about, Pat, in, in this is, is I, I want to say maybe as, as parents we need to redefine what success looks like. Because oftentimes I think, especially in North America, what we can do as parents is we can say, oh, if we can you know get our kids getting the best grades and in the right schools and on the right travel team and the right sport and... Um, get to the, the right college, whatever that is, kind of in your context, and find the right job, make the right money, marry the right person, white picket fence. Let's, you know, have the, you know, the kids and the dog. We, we sort of think that success and we perpetuate that model. Well, part of just unpack is have a different model, have a different kind of target for success for your kids. And for me, the way I've reframed success is I just want my kids to be healthy. I want them to be healthy mentally, I want them to be healthy emotionally. I want them to be healthy relationally, and I want them to be healthy spiritually. And if I can get my kids to their young adult years and they can be healthy, in some ways I don't care where they went to college. I don't care where they work. I don't care how much money they make because we all know people who have gone through kind of that American dream, if you will, and in the process have packed some tremendous baggage. And they get to their 30s, 40s, 50s, and that just explodes, and that's never pretty. And so if we can just redefine success – As a parent if we can help our kids not pack so many heavy emotional bags i think our kids are going to be better off when they get to their young adult years
1: then you move to this topic chris the relational bag and we've got a lot of bags coming up here the relational bag tell me about that
2: so the relational bag it it obviously starts kind of with with our parents Pat, in, in the focus groups that I did, I just I heard over and over again from young adults, and they would say something to the effect of, I love my parents, but. And what happens just naturally with, you know, and we all know this, is, is I think parenting relationships can kind of become mechanical where, you know, as your kids are young, everybody's got to get up and, you know, get their shoes on and, and pack their, their lunch and get to school and get home and do homework and then go to practice and do more homework and we you know, have dinner and then we all just sort of emotionally crash and do it all over again tomorrow. Well, what gets crowded out is the relationships. And so, so relational baggage with parents can be a real thing for, for A, just the cycle of life and B, you know, things that parents sometimes I think do and I'm guilty of this as a parent where I just say things and I do things that, that emotionally hurt my kids. I don't mean to do it, but I do in the midst of the chaos of life. So there's relational bags that we pack with, with our parents there's relational baggage that, that if there's more than one child in the house, and you probably know this well, if there's more than one child in the house, there's relational baggage with siblings that we as parents, uh, you know, have to pay attention to and help them build healthy relationships with one another. Kids obviously pack relational bags with their peers, and that is um, kind of more and more of an issue nowadays when it comes to technology and social media where, you know, maybe a girl is a part of a certain friend group and, She doesn't get invited to the party, and then she watches it unfold on Instagram where she didn't get invited. And so there's relational baggage there. And so there's just relationships are the foundation of who we are. And we have to just pay attention to what kind of relational baggage we're packing with people and do everything we can to help our kids be healthy in that area of life.
1: Here's the next bag. You call it the performance bag, Uh, Chris. What's that mean?
2: So, for me, uh, performance bags get packed as kids, you know, they feel the pressure to perform everywhere in life. And I think, Pat, what they do is they, they begin to believe that their sense of worth is tied to their achievements. And we see this with kids, uh, you know, all the time. It happens in school, it happens in sports. Um, they have to perform, you know, like I mentioned, you know, technology and social media is so prevalent with them. They have to perform, you know, online and get enough likes and, um, have enough people following them, and so I, I just feel like kids today, they're, they're crumbling under the pressure of performance. We recently did a, a survey with high school students at our at our church, just kind of asking them about, you know, what are some things that they need help with, and, and one, one student basically shared that, that they, they, they're in school, they used to love school, now they hate school, they kind of watch the clock and they're ready for it to be over, they um, play three sports and sometimes you know, they have to miss school. They are just overwhelmed. Their parents are sometimes really, really uh, kind of uh, put a lot of pressure on when it comes to, to their grades. And basically at the end of it, what, what, what he said was someone has to tell adults that we will crumble under the weight of this pressure. So that was a high school student at my church a month and a half ago. Yeah. And so I just, I just feel like we as adults have to recognize that, that these kids are under enormous pressure all the time. And one of the things and, and this is what I do in the book is is offer some practical suggestions for parents when it comes to each bag. I mean one of the things I think we ought to do as parents is just reduce the pressure at home, which can be counterintuitive for some parents. Some parents we feel like we have to ramp up the pressure and hey, have you done all your homework and and you know, can we get you know a ninety five instead of a ninety three and hey let's you know make sure we get that extra coach and 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 Know, kind of get better at shooting our free throws or whatever it is. We ramp up the pressure at home. What if we reduce the pressure at home? And home can be a place where our kids don't feel the pressure to perform that they naturally feel every day in life.
1: Now, Chris, we have arrived at the identity bag. We've <laughs> at the relational bag, the performance bag. What's the identity bag?
2: So I think, Pat, identity bags get packed as kids struggle through the confusion of trying to figure out who they are and how they fit into the world. There's been a lot of just great kind of study and a lot of great resources for for youth and family ministries around this, and um, Fuller Youth Institute out in California has really uh, led the conversation on this recently. And it's really kids want to know, who am I, Um, where do I belong, and what difference do I make in the world? And that's not necessarily new. I mean, I, I, I remember kind of asking those questions when I was But I do think that, uh, the, the pressure to figure out your identity, and I'm not just talking about uh, kind of a sexual identity, although that is ramped up with teenagers nowadays and even younger kids than that. But, but really, who am I in relation to God? And, and you know, part of what, what I really want for my kids and, and, and your kids and everybody's kids to feel is my identity is in Christ and in my relationship with God. And so kids are just questioning every day, who am I? Who are my people? Like what's my tribe? Who loves me for who I am? And and do I really make a difference in the world? And a lot of these bags layer on top of each other. And so, you know, the the way that they feel the pressure to perform, if they perform well in a, a sport or drama or whatever, that begins to be a part of their identity because it feels good. But the moment they don't perform well, they all of a sudden, oh, well, maybe I'm not an athlete. And, and that hurts them emotionally. And, and it's just, it's so confusing for them as they go through life, as they try on, if you will, different identities. And as adults, we have to pay attention to pointing them to the true identity that can sustain them forever.
1: Chris Sasser is our guest. His book, Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. All right, Chris, what's the comparison bag about?
2: Well, comparison bags get back as kind of kids move through life, and what they do is they evaluate how they stack up to the world around them, and kind of they ultimately are wondering, "Am I enough?" And you know, we, we all play the comparison game in life. And the reality with the comparison game, especially with kids, is most often they land on sort of the wrong side of that game, where they feel like they're just not enough. They're never going to measure up. They're not going to be good enough. Um, and so that that plays in again to their identity. And I'm just I'm a loser. Uh, I'm just never enough. Some kids do play the comparison game and they end up on the other side of it where they feel like they're better than everybody else. And so that's not good because they become judgmental and, and, and really uh, develop an attitude that nobody wants to be around. And so we just, we all go through life playing the comparison game all the time. And and Pat, I'm guilty of this. I mean, this is something that that I have to struggle with as a 52 year old adult. I mean, it's just, it's in our face all the time. And, and, because, again, we live in such a pressure-packed culture to perform, we're naturally kind of bent to compare. And these kids, they don't have the, they don't have the, the cognitive ability to really sort through it in a healthy way unless we as adults are kind of helping them do
1: that. My guest, <clears throat> and he's in Wilmington, North Carolina, right there on the ocean, right there where Michael Jordan grew up.
2: Oh, yes, sir. And I'm a Tar Heel fan, too, so you're speaking to my heart.
1: Okay, Chris. Chris (laughs) Sasser. We've got another segment with Chris. Uh, His book is called Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. Uh, My latest book is out, by the way. It's a devotional book called Every Day is Game Day. And uh, 365-day devotional, uh, sports theme, sports story with every one of them. And then uh, swings into the devotional part. So when you're ordering bags, uh, get a copy of uh, Every Day is Game Day. More with Chris Sasser right after this here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams
0: Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990
1: and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. The book is called Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. Uh, Chris, we've arrived at the authority bag. Tell us more.
2: Well, I think, Pat, kids today are really asking, like, who gets to be in charge of me? And and what's interesting, and I think we see this all through our society, is people in general, but certainly kids, are, are struggling to submit to authority in their life. And uh, I think we see this all along the way where they're trying – that they want to take control. They want to be in control. They want anybody to tell them what to do. Again, this is nothing new. This is something that I think probably uh, we've been struggling with since the beginning of time. But it just seems like there there tends to be more of a bucking of authority. And what happens with kids if they do that is I think they, they begin to sort of question whether or not they can trust God. Because can, can God even be an authority in their lives? And I, I do think that we as adults, and, and we do this subtly, we play into um, sort of the erosion of authority in our culture. And sometimes we as adults, you know, in and around our kids, we're questioning authority. We can say, hey, yeah, you know, yeah, you do need more playing time. Your coach doesn't know what he's talking about. Or your, your teacher is a bad teacher, and let's call the school and let's complain about how bad the teacher is. What we're suddenly doing with our kids is we're eroding authority. And so um, one of the things that we just really need to do is to help our kids understand the need for authority in life and and certainly um, the the need and, and, and develop the willingness to follow God's authority. Because if they can't follow worldly authority, I do think they're going to have a real difficulty following God's authority.
1: What is the rejection bag?
2: Well rejection bags get packed as kids kind of walk through life and they, they, they get left out of things they experience rejection from organizations uh, rejection from people rejection from friends I mean I hear stories of you know somebody unfriending someone on you know Instagram or Facebook and then friending them again and then they're unfriend and then there's kind of back and forth you know obviously you know kids try out for for teams and they don't make the team or they don't get into the honor society or they don't get the part in the play or whatever they just have to ex- Experience rejection in life, and oftentimes they don't know how to, how to process that. And so there's baggage associated with that. Now, we, we all do experience rejection in different ways. And what we, I think, as, as parents and what we as adults need to do is to learn how to help our kids process this rejection and learn how to grow from it in life. But oftentimes what happens is they get rejected and there's no processing of that rejection. They just sort of stuff it down and and again, it plays into their identity because if they often get rejected, they again feel like a loser or um, they begin to compare themselves all over the place. I mean, the, the, the rejection bag can be really, really hard, especially when you get rejected by people and, and, and more specifically people that you love or people that, that you think love you. And so, again, it layers into the relational bag as well.
1: Now tell us about... The guilt and shame bag. Well,
2: guilt and shame bags get packed as kids, you know, make decisions, they experience circumstances, and it leads to them it leads them to experience guilt and shame. And oftentimes that guilt and shame leads them to, you know, isolation. Um, they'll have guilt around things that they have done. They'll have shame around who they believe they are. And, again, as as parents especially, we need to pay attention to – when our kids are feeling guilt and shame because it it does push them to isolation. It does push them away from relationships because um, guilt and shame is tremendously emotional for people, and, again, especially for kids whose brains are not yet fully developed and they don't know what to do with it. And so um, they're packing guilt and shame baggage all along the way. And quite honestly, with a lot of young adults that I talk to, it is around – Sexuality, sexual choices, sexual thoughts. They just don't know how to process it, and they feel incredible guilt and shame about it.
1: What about the disappointment bag?
2: Well, disappointment bags get packed as kids have a hard time just frankly dealing with disappointment. And and, and even sometimes they feel like they are a disappointment. Uh, one of the kind of metaphors that I use in the book, it wasn't my idea, but I, I heard um, about lawnmower parents. Now, we've heard about helicopter parents before, but, but lawnmower parents are a little bit different in some parts of the country, not Florida. Uh, it, it would be called a snowplow parent. However, what, what it means is that parents often will just sort of mow the lawn, if you will, pave the way in front of their kids. Um, you know, we'll, we'll step in and we'll, we'll talk to the teacher or we'll talk to the coach or we'll try to orchestrate you know, things for our kids. And so, therefore, our kids never have to go through difficult things. And they really don't experience much disappointment. You wouldn't believe the number of college students that I get to talk to where they get to college and mom and or dad are no longer the one kind of paving the way for them. They experience some kind of disappointment, and they don't know how to deal with it uh, because they've never really experienced disappointment. And one of the things that I've heard recently is parents have become their kid's agent. And when we are our kid's agent and we essentially sort of, um, negotiate everything for them and they don't have to do it. They don't learn kind of the ebb and flow of life and, and, and they just don't experience disappointment that is just a part of life. And then there's some real baggage there when when they do kind of experience things that are disappointing because typically if it's later, kind of in their you know young adult years, there are bigger consequences to those disappointments, whereas if we can help them learn how to process disappointment along the way, um, it, it's it's much better for them in the long run.
1: And then, uh, Chris, tell us about lightening the load. That's your last chapter.
2: Well, I think there are, uh, all all throughout the book, there are practical suggestions for parents um, uh, to to help your kids kind of lighten the load. But I do think for us as parents, uh, we kind of need to lighten our load. And uh, it's so funny, Pat. Every time I'm in conversations with parents about this, I get to do this at seminars often in churches, and parents will come up to me and they'll say, hey, you know, I can't really engage in this conversation around what's going on with my kids because I still have all of this baggage myself that I've never unpacked. And, and that's where I would say, go to counseling, talk to your pastor. I mean, talk to a friend. I mean, you have to learn how to kind of unpack your bags as you're helping your kids not pack theirs. And so for us, lightening the load in some ways is experiencing the grace and forgiveness that God has for us and leaning into that as we lead our kids throughout their spiritual journey. So there's some, some deeper scripture kind of in the last chapter where parents can kind of lean into to praying for their kids, to, to confessing things that have gone on in their life, and to really trying to be in a healthier place yourself as a parent so that you can lead your kid to a healthy place themselves.
1: Chris, uh, what do you want uh, our listeners to take from your chat and more importantly from your book?
2: I want for listeners if you are a parent I want for you to to do a better job and obviously I don't know the job you're currently doing but I want to I want to implore you to do a better job of paying attention to what's going on with your kids because over and over again with the conversations I had with college students and young adults throughout the research for this book I just heard them say I wish my parents would have known I wish my parents would have paid more attention And in a world that is ever distracted, and we as adults are ever distracted, we just need to maybe sometimes practically put your phone away and pay more attention to your kid, build the relationships with your kids so that you can have these deep conversations that you need to have with them, and do everything you can as a parent through the relationship and through the influence that you have on your kids to help them be healthier when they get to their young adult years. Don't just push them to be quote-unquote successful in the world's eyes. Help them be healthy, help them have a relationship with Jesus that's real, and help them want to follow that each and every day. That's what I would say.
1: Uh, Chris, t- uh, in closing, uh, tell me about Port City Community Church in Wilmington, North Carolina.
2: Port City is a great church. We're, like you said, out here on the coast, um, you know, uh, 10 minutes from the beach in a couple different directions. We're a multi-campus church. We have uh, our main campuses here in Wilmington. We have a campus in, in Leland, North Carolina, which is just over the bridge here in town. We have a campus in New Bern, North Carolina. I get to serve as the family ministry pastor, so I oversee everything from birth through high school and parents. And one of the things that we say around here is what we want to do is reach people and help them walk with God. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And so for me, um, kind of a, as I've stepped into more projects about parents, um, what I want to do is equip and encourage parents and I want to equip and encourage parents to help your family walk with God. And so you can actually, there's a website that I have called equipandencourage.com where I just do a little bit of writing and some articles on there. You can find more information about the book there. You can order the book on Amazon. It's, it's on Amazon. I also have a site if you want more information about it. It's called thebagsbook.com. So lots of different places that you can go to kind of get more information. But 2 is a great church, And uh, we're doing some great family ministry here. i got a lot of great people around me.
1: Chris Sasser has been our guest, author of Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. We've got a wrap up right after this here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned always to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990
0: and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
1: Folks, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, uh, Grace Fox uh, joined us from her sailboat uh, off the coast of Vancouver, British Columbia. And then uh, we uh, swung over to Wilmington, North Carolina, had a nice chat with Chris Sasser about his book, Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. Well, let me just remind you, we are uh, working hard trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. There's a website. Go up to it, orlandodreamers.com. orlandodreamers.com. We need to hear from you. Just tell us, yeah, I like this idea. I'd like to be part of it. Uh, Season tickets someday? Yeah, that might be in my... In my plans, if we can pull this off. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. OrlandoDreamers.com. Uh, this has been the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Back next weekend for more <clears throat> right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. We'll see you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's
0: edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.